That completes all the island questions. We now come to questions to the Prime Minister, Patricia Gibson. Mr Speaker, this morning I opened the Ukraine Recovery Conference alongside President Zelensky. The aim of the conference is to secure a resilient economic future for Ukraine. And as we mark the 75th anniversary of the arrival of the Empire Windrush tomorrow, I'm sure the whole House will celebrate the contribution of the Windrush generation who have done so much to build the Britain that we cherish today. And, Mr Speaker, this Armed Forces Week, we thank them for all they do to keep our country safe. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Patricia Gibson. As inflation continues to outstrip pay awards, and tomorrow we expect to see the 13th consecutive rise in interest rates, will the Prime Minister tell the House by how much living standards have fallen during his eight months in office? Well, Mr Mr. Speaker, I've always been very clear, inflation is putting pressure on family budgets, and that's why the UK Government has taken decisive action to support families through this difficult time, including households in Scotland who are receiving considerable support, not just with their energy bills, but also the most vulnerable as well. Well, Benji. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On this side of the House, we have got a proud record of supporting the nuclear industry, which is an essential part of achieving secure, low-carbon energy. I'm delighted that my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, has given his backing to the next generation of nuclear reactors, including SMR and larger projects, and asked that he now commits to seeing the fuel for these projects manufactured in the UK. This will secure long-term high-skilled employment at key sites in the North West, like Springfields in my constituency, and a supply chain across the UK. Mr Speaker, we are preserving and strengthening the UK's nuclear fuel production capacity through our £75 billion nuclear fuel fund. I know that Springfield Fuels, in my honourable friend's constituency, has benefited from £30 million of funding. And he's right to say that our domestic nuclear fuel sector has a critical role to play in supporting the UK's energy security and independence. And I know that he will continue to be a champion for the industry in this House. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister and his comments about the Windrush generation who have contributed so much to our country and to the armed forces in this week and all weeks? Um, and Glenda Jackson's passing leaves a space in our cultural and political life that can never be filled. She played many roles with great distinction, passion and commitment. Academy Award-winning actor, campaigning Labour MP and an effective government minister. We will never see talent like hers again. Yeah. Mr Speaker, one of the Prime Minister's own MPs says Britain is facing a mortgage catastrophe. Does he agree with her? Well, Mr Speaker, can I start by joining the Honourable Gentleman in his uh, tribute to Glenda Jackson? Uh, and Mr Speaker, it's also right that we do support those with the mortgages, and this is why the absolute right economic priority is to halve inflation. Because inflation is what is driving interest rates up, inflation is what erodes people's savings and pushes up prices and ultimately makes them poorer. Now, 
This is why, a long time before I had this job, I highlighted the importance of tackling inflation. It's why that I said it is never easy to root out inflation, but we will take the difficult and responsible decisions to do so. It's an approach that the IMF has strongly endorsed in their words and describing our actions as decisive and responsible. Mr Speaker, I realise the Prime Minister spent all week saying he doesn't want to influence anyone or anything. He was certainly keeping to that with his answer. He, he knows very well the cause of the mortgage catastrophe. Thirteen years of economic failure and a Tory kamikaze budget which crashed the economy and put mortgages through the roof. So will the Prime Minister tell us how much the Tory mortgage penalty is going to cost the average homeowner? Well, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, as, as ever, the honourable gentleman isn't aware of the global macroeconomic situation. But let me do. But substantively, substantively, well, substantively, what I what, let me tell him and the House what we are doing to support those with mortgages. We have deliberately and proactively increased the generosity of our support for the mortgage interest scheme. We've also established a new FCA communal duty which will protect people with mortgages, for example, moving them onto interest-only mortgages or lengthening mortgage terms. And we have spent tens of billions of pounds supporting people with the cost of living, particularly the most vulnerable. But that is the difference between us, Mr Speaker. While he is always focused on the politics, we are actually just getting on and doing the job. Let's test that because the, the question he refuses to answer, he actually knows the, the answer to this question, is £2,900 extra. That's the cost to the average family of the Tory mortgage penalty. Now, he was warned by experts about this as long ago as autumn last year, but he either didn't get it, didn't believe it, or didn't care because he certainly didn't do anything. And when I raised this a couple of months ago, he had the gall to stand at that dispatch box and say he was delivering for homeowners. Yeah. How is an extra £2,900 a year on repayment delivering for homeowners? Yeah. Well, so, Mr. Speaker, now let, let's, just, let's just look at the facts. Let's look at the facts. Because he talks about interest rates. He talks about interest rates. Perhaps one gentleman could explain why interest rates are at similar levels in the United States, in Canada, in Australia and New Zealand. Why they're at the highest level in Europe that they've been for two decades, Mr Speaker. That's why it's important that we have a plan to reduce inflation. But in contrast, what do we hear from one more gentleman? He wants to borrow an extra £28 billion a year. That would make the situation worse. He wants to ban new supplies of energy from the North Sea. That would make the situation worse. And, and he wants to give in to unions unaffordable pay demands. That would make the situation worse. Mr Speaker, he doesn't have many policies, but the few that he does have all have the same thing in common. They're dangerous, inflationary, and working people would pay the price. Seriously. Sorry? I don't think we need any more, do we? No. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I appreciate the has a keen interest in the mortgage market in California, but I'm talking about mortgage holders here. And whilst his government is consumed in law-breaking chaos and division, working people are paying the price. This morning, I spoke to James in Selby. He's a police officer, working hard to keep people safe every day. 
the Tory mortgage penalty is going to cost him and his family £400 more each and every month. That's nearly £5,000. He told me this morning, they may not want to hear this, he told me this morning that they've decided to sell their house, to downsize, and he's just told his children they're going to have to start sharing bedrooms. Why should James and his family pay the cost of the Prime Minister's failure? Well, Mr. Mr Speaker, I hope when the Honourable Gentleman was talking to James, he explained that his economic policies would make James's situation worse, Mr Speaker. And it's not just... It's not just me saying that, Mr Speaker. The Independent, the Independent Institute of Fiscal Studies says his policy of never-ending debt and borrowing would damage James because it would increase inflation and drive up interest rates, leaving James and everybody else in this country poorer, Mr Speaker. The IMF has said that our plan prioritises not what is politically easy but what is right for the British people. That is what responsible economic leadership looks like, Mr Speaker. James and his family will have been listening to that Prime Minister. Uh, And their plight should keep them awake at night, because over the next few years, 7.5 million people are going to be in the same boat, all paying the Tory mortgage penalty, month after month after month. The situation is so dire that repossessions are already up 50%, a total betrayal of the idea that if you work hard, you'll get on. So what's the Prime Minister going to do to make sure more families don't lose their homes? Mr Speaker, I know he's reading from his prepared script, but he failed to actually listen to the answer that I gave. I did did actually spell out in detail what we are doing, Mr Speaker. We've increased the generosity of support for mortgage interest scheme. We did that proactively in advance. We've also established a new FCA consumer duty that will protect borrowers, for example, by allowing them to extend their mortgage terms or switch to interest-only mortgages. And we have spent tens of billions of pounds supporting households with living costs. Those are the practical steps that we are taking to help James and other families who are facing these situations. But what I would say, because he mentioned mortgage arrears and uh, repossessions, I am pleased to say, Mr Speaker, they are actually running at a level today that is below when we entered the pandemic, Mr Speaker, because of the actions that we're taking. But more importantly than that, perhaps, Mr Speaker, is that they are also running three times lower than the level we inherited from the last Labour government. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, I'm sure from the vantage point of his helicopter everything might look fine. But that's not the lived experience of those on the ground. After 13 years of economic failure across the country, people are paying the price of uncosted, reckless, damaging decisions by the Tory party. And even now, as mortgages go through the roof, the Prime Minister is planning to wave through honours and peerages for those who cause misery for millions. What does it say about this government that while working people are worrying about mortgage hike, paying the bills, even repositions, the Tory party is rewarding those guilty of economic vandalism? Mr Speaker, no amount of personal attacks and petty point scoring can disguise the fact that the Honourable Gentleman does not have a plan for this country, Mr Speaker. 
He comes here every week to make the same petty points. We are getting on and delivering for this country. Yes, Mr Speaker, inflation is a challenge. That's why we are on track to keep reducing it. We are reducing waiting lists. We are stopping the boats. All while he is focused on the past, focused on the politics. It's all talk. Whereas from this government and from this Prime Minister, we deliver for the country. Philip, I know you're popular. Come on. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Uh, my constituents continue to be concerned about energy prices and energy security. Uh, will the Prime Minister assure me that he will not cave in to the extremist bullies from Just Stop Oil and their patsies on the Labour leadership as well? Instead commit and instead commit to developing new oil and gas production in the United yeah. Kingdom, which will be good for jobs, good for the economy, and make us less dependent on foreign countries for our energy supply. Well, as ever, my honourable friend makes an excellent point. Putin's weaponisation of energy has amplified the need for greater energy security, and that's why we deliberately have launched new licensing rounds for the North Sea. Official forecasts suggest that a block on North Sea oil and gas investment would mean that the UK's dependence on imports would rise substantially. Mr Speaker, the Labour Party's decision is one that puts ideology ahead of jobs, investment and Britain's energy security. SNP leader Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, in, in February, the Prime Minister told this year House that borrowing costs are back to where they should be. In March, he boasted we are on track to have inflation by the end of the year. And in May, he then said economic optimism is increasing. Well, given the dire economic reality of today, is it not now clear that he's taken his honesty lessons from Boris Johnson? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Mr, Mr. Speaker, the, the Honourable Gentleman also failed to mention that not just the Bank of England, not just the OBR, not just the OECD, but also the IMF, all of them have upgraded their growth outlook for the United Kingdom economy this year. Uh, whilst he and others were predicting that this country would enter a recession, the actions of this government have meant that we have so far averted that, and we continue to be on track to keep reducing inflation, because that is the right economic priority. Can I just say, I want people to be a little bit more cautious on what they say. This is the present serving Prime Minister. The danger will it could be misled in the way that it was put. Stephen Flynn. Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, listening to the Prime Minister's answer, I don't think he quite grasps the reality of the economic situation facing households across yeah, these aisles. Yeah. How could he? But it doesn't need to be like this. It didn't need to be like this. Because mortgage deals in Ireland, they're not sitting in excess of 6%, they're around about 4.5%. Inflation in the euro area, that's not sitting at 8.7%, it's sitting at closer to 6%. Britain is broke. Now, seven years after their EU referendum, will he finally admit that it was Brexit that broke it? Mr Speaker, again, I don't think the honourable gentleman was paying attention earlier. Interest rates in this country are at similar levels to they are in America, in Canada, in Australia and in New Zealand, Mr Speaker. The rise in inflation and interest rates is a global phenomenon, but that's why early I set out that it was the right economic priority to have to bring inflation down. That's what this government would do. But that requires, Mr Speaker, that requires difficult and responsible decisions. That's what leadership looks like. I don't think the SNP will ever do the same thing. Virginia Crosby. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Wilbur, in my constituency of Arnismore, is recognised as the best site for small modular reactors and large-scale new nuclear in 
UK. Given the UK government's commitment to nuclear and Wilver, when can my unsmall constituents expect to hear the result of Great British Nuclear's small modular reactor competition? Jochenbau. Well, Mr. Speaker, there will be no greater champion for this technology and her community than my honourable friend. And my understanding is that the first stage of market engagement is already underway. The expectation is that the down selection process will be launched this summer with an ambition to assess and decide on the leading technologies this autumn. The competition will be open, judicious, fair and robust, and I express uh, all my confidence that we will select the best technology for the United Kingdom. I'm sure welcoming it. Right, Stephen Furry. Um, four months after the very welcome Windsor Framework, there is still no restored Northern Ireland Executive or Assembly, and we are facing an unprecedented budget crisis. This situation is untenable. It's getting worse every day, and the government approach seems to be to wait to see if something happens rather than leading from the front. So can the Prime Minister confirm that he's willing to work with the Northern Ireland parties on a, a financial package for a restored executive? And also will he work, work closely with the Irish government to try to drive a process, including putting reform with institutions on the agenda, so that those who want to govern Northern Ireland can do so? Oh. Mr Speaker, can I thank the uh, Honourable Gentleman for his engagement with me in the Government during this process. I share his frustration, and our focus remains on delivering for the people of Northern Ireland, who expect and deserve their locally elected decision-makers to address the issues that matter to them most. I thank him for his kind words about the Windsor Framework and how it allows us to move forward. And For many years, we have recognised the challenges particularly facing Northern Ireland, and that is why we have provided over £7 billion of funding on top of the Barnet Block Grant since 2014. I can assure him that my right honourable friend, the Northern Ireland Secretary, remains in close contact with all the parties in Northern Ireland to clarify what more is needed so that we can restore the conditions for executive formation. Dr Liam Fox. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <clears throat> Since 2016, cumulative growth in Italy has been 4%, in Germany has been 5.5%, in the UK has been 6.8%. In May last year, British exports to the European Union were not just the highest since Brexit, but since records began. The UK had the highest growth of any G7 country in both 2021 and 2022. The Eurozone is currently in recession. We are not. Is it not time we heard more good news talking Britain up? My my right honourable friend. My right honourable friend is quite right to highlight the improvement in our economic outlook, and he's right to highlight the good positive news showing the strength in the underlying economy. And I know that he joins with me in saying that our economic priority right now must be to continue to bear down on inflation. But while we do that, we are putting the conditions in place to grow this economy. And as he said, unlike the party opposite, we won't talk Britain down, we will grow the country's jobs. Thank you much, Mr. Speaker. Last night was another fantastic night uh, at Hamden, a real tonic uh, during yeah. tough times for yeah. Tarnami yeah. and Scotland yeah. more widely. Yeah. However, whilst English and Welsh fans could watch their national teams for free on Channel 4 and S4C, only a small fraction of Scots could watch the match, with, it, with many unable to afford the subscription to Viaplay, particularly during this cost of living crisis. So, does yeah. it agree with me that this is inherently unfair? And will he ask the DCM, DCMS Secretary uh, to meet with me to discuss how we fix this situation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, can I uh, join my honourable friend in his comments uh, about the match uh, and let him know that I know the Culture Secretary is engaging with him and others on this particular topic, and I'll make sure that she gets back to him. 
And Marie Morris. Speaker. In December last year, Link conducted some research on cash acceptance. Their research found that nearly half, 45% of people, have been somewhere where cash has not been accepted or has been discouraged, and 49% said being unable or being discouraged to pay in cash was inconvenient. Will the Prime Minister look again at the Financial Services and Markets Bill when it comes back from the other place and ensure that any entity providing a public service directly to the public and involving payments or a charge must accept cash? Mm. Well, Mr Speaker, we know that cash continues to be used by millions of people, particularly those in vulnerable groups, and that's why the Financial Service and Markets Bill will, for the first ever time, protect people's access to cash in UK law. The bill also supports businesses to continue to accept cash by ensuring reasonable access to deposit facilities. But as technology and consumer behaviour changes, it is right that organisations themselves should be able to choose the forms of payment that they will accept. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister believe that the reward for being a lawbreaker should be to be made a lawmaker? Mr Mr. Speaker, there is, as we discussed last week, a well-established process of vetting for all peerages, and I, in keeping with with the convention convention followed by Prime Ministers of both parties, have followed the same process. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Wiltshire leads the world in agri-tech, the farming uh, increases in productivity that are going to feed the world, uh, the world's growing population without wrecking the environment. I welcome what the government has done in this space, particularly in gene editing, only possible because of Brexit, of course. Will my right honourable friend acknowledge the work of Wiltshire farmers and tech entrepreneurs, particularly James Dyson, but there are many more. Does he agree with me this is one of the key opportunities for our country to become a high-wage, high-skill, high-tech economy? Mr Speaker, when it comes to agri-tech, we are among the best in the world, with fantastic research bodies, businesses and pioneering farmers and growers, and I join my honourable friend in paying tribute to all of them. Uh, They're getting our support with £270 million farming innovation programme, and, as he rightly mentioned, we are seizing the opportunities from our exit from the EU, including through our plans to more quickly develop gene-edited crops that are resistant to drought and flooding that will drive up growth, productivity and create jobs. Kevin Blenner. Thank you, Mr Speaker. So just to recap, during this Parliament we've had one Tory Prime Minister who turned out to be a proven liar, a second Tory Prime Minister who was outlasted by a lettuce. <laughs> After this week's pathetic no-show by the Prime Minister, what one word would he use to describe himself? Might it be weak? Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, what's weak is the party opposite being unable to stand up, is being able to, un- to stand up to the people who fund them and stand behind hard-working families in this country. Mr. Speaker, um, I welcome the steps the Prime Minister is taking to stop illegal, dangerous, and unnecessary small boat crossings, which are overwhelming our asylum system. But I have to raise significant concerns about a recent decision to stand up a third hotel in Burton, as well as increase capacity at another hotel by 64%. This is going to have a serious knock-on effect for our response to homelessness and rough sleeping, as well as causing challenges for wider public services in East Staffordshire. 
What further support can the Prime Minister provide local authorities in East Staffordshire to deal with these urgent concerns? Mr Speaker, this is why we need to stop the boat so that we can relieve the unsustainable pressure on our asylum system and accommodation services, which is costing British taxpayers over £3 billion a year. Uh, Our new bill will ensure that anyone arriving illegally will be detained and swiftly removed, but in the meantime we will take action to address the unacceptable costs of housing migrants in hotels. Uh, We recognise the pressure this places on local areas. That is why central government is providing further dispersal financial support but I will ensure that my honourable friend gets a meeting with the Immigration Minister to discuss her specific local concerns further. Andy Slaughter. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Uh, Imperial NHS Trust described the Government's recent decision to delay the rebuilding of Charing Cross, Hammersmith and St Mary's hospitals as hugely damaging for the health and health care of hundreds of thousands of people. Will the Prime Minister keep the promise made to me by his predecessor one year ago from that dispatch box and guarantee completion of new hospitals on these sites by 2030. Mr Speaker, the Government remains committed to two new hospital schemes for Imperial College Healthcare Trust at Hammersmith Hospital and Charing Cross Hospital and for St Mary's Hospital as part of the new hospital programme. We have expanded the programme, as the Honourable Gentleman knows, to include buildings with RAC, and we need to address those as a priority for the safety of staff and patients. However, we still expect the majority of schemes in Cohort 4 to be in construction before 2030, and I know that the Department will continue to keep him updated on progress. David Davis. Uh, Mr Speaker, the United Kingdom sanctioned Iran for promoting terrorism, for destabilising the Middle East, for supplying weapons to our enemies and, of course, the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Within the past few weeks, the journalist David Rose has reported in the Jewish Chronicle that British universities have been undertaking research in collaboration with Iranian researchers and universities into areas of potential military applications, including drone technology, fighter jets, battlefield armour and laser communication. Will the Prime Minister initiate an investigation into this and take action to stop the failure of our sanctions regime before it does any more harm to the national interest of the United Kingdom and our ally? Mr Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for raising this important topic. We take all allegations of breaches of export control seriously, uh, and my understanding is that officials in the Department for Business and Trade are currently now investigating the allegations made in the recent press article cited. We will not accept collaborations which compromise our national security, and that is why we have made our systems more robust, including expanding the scope of the Academic Technology Approval Scheme to protect UK research from ever-changing global threats. But my right honourable friend is absolutely right to highlight this, and he has my assurance we will keep on it. Could any of the material the Prime Minister's government is trying to avoid giving to the COVID inquiry cover his tenure as Chancellor and his eat-out-to-help-out policy? Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, as I've said before, I think it is right that we learn the lessons from COVID, and that's why, uh, so that we can be better prepared for the future. And that's why the government has cooperated in a spirit of transparency and candour with the inquiry, handing over more than 55, handing over more than 55 
thousand documents so far, uh, Mr. Speaker. But there is a very specific point of disagreement. As the honourable gentleman well knows, it is a subject now of legal proceedings, so I'm not able to comment further. Mr. Speaker, despite being world leaders in motorsport, the UK has not hosted a round of the World Rally Championship since 2019. We now have an opportunity to host a round in Northern Ireland next year to bring in in excess of £100 million to the economy. But to make that happen, the promoters need government underwriting of approximately a million pounds. So, will my rightful friend, the Prime Minister, agree with me that this event simply must go ahead? and instruct the relevant departments to work with the APPG for Motorsport, Motorsport UK and the promoters to make it happen. Well, Mr Speaker, Northern Ireland is a fantastic place to host international events, and I'm delighted that my honourable friend shares my enthusiasm for driving forward prosperity in Northern Ireland. And with tourism, though, being devolved in Northern Ireland, I suggest he engages with Tourism NI on this potential event, and I look forward to hearing how he gets on. Mr Speaker, the UK Government and His Majesty's loyal opposition refuse to face up to the bleak realities. Brexit is causing weaker growth and a soaring inflation, according to the former... According to the former government of the, uh, governor of the Bank of England, the LSE says EU trade barriers have added an average £250 to household food bills, and Scots fishing chiefs are saying they were sold down the river and scoff at the talk of treaty renegotiation as just spin. With such colossal failures stacking up, and the former PM, who played a leading role in the Leave camp, finally exposed as a serial liar, Will the current PM apologise to my constituents in Edinburgh North and Leith? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I'll just point out to the Honourable Lady, because she's going on about the EU and us leaving it, we have actually, we have actually grown faster than France and Italy since we left the single market. Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, our, our, our exports have also grown by 25% just since uh, COVID. And as we heard from our honourable friend earlier, that every single international organisation has upgraded their forecast for UK economic growth. That's because we've got the right priorities to drive growth, create jobs and spread opportunity in every part of our United Kingdom. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Hospices across the UK provide quality but also compassionate care to people at the end of their lives, such as yeah. Mount Batten Hospice in my constituency, who looked after my office manager, Sue Hall, when she passed away in March. That's why I and her son-in-law, Miles Rogers, will be skydiving to raise money on Saturday, and we've raised £6,000 so far. The Prime Minister should feel free to donate to the campaign. He will send his best wishes to all hospice workers across the United Kingdom. Well, can I join with my honourable friend? Uh, first of all, wishing I think it was Miles good luck uh, this weekend as he raises money, but also join him uh, in paying tribute to all our incredible hospice volunteers and workers across the country. Uh, they do a fantastic job in all our constituencies at a very difficult time for families' lives, and we all owe them an enormous amount of thanks. Jim Farrell. Thank you, Mr. Half of us, sadly, will get cancer at some point during our lives. And half of those with cancer will need radiotherapy treatment. Yet three and a half million people in this country live in radiotherapy deserts where they don't have close access to the treatment, including my constituency, where my patients living in West Blunt have to travel three-hour round trips every day to get life-saving treatment. So would the Prime Minister back our proposal for a satellite radiotherapy unit at West Blunt General Hospital in Kendall and also help support all the other members living in the radiotherapy deserts to bring radiotherapy close to their communities too? Well, 
Mr Speaker, I, I know, like the Honourable Gentleman, that access to healthcare in rural areas is particularly important, given the distances that our rural constituents have to drive. Uh, that's why we remain committed to expanding the range of diagnostic services that are available through our pro, uh, proposal to roll out community diagnostic centres. Uh, and I think the record-breaking capital budget that we have in the NHS at the moment is delivering that, and I look forward to the Department engaging with him on his plans for his local area. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As the Bank of England are raising interest rates to try to stem spending and therefore preventing inflation being baked into the economy, the same can't be said for those with savings accounts. Um, would it not be uh, good for people to be encouraged and incentivised to save more? And would my right honourable friend and the Chancellor talk to the industry and encourage them or impel them to actually give a good deal to savers too? Can I uh, thank my honourable friend because she raises uh, an excellent point. It is vitally important that savers are treated fairly and the markets are functioning as competitively as we would expect them to be. I am pleased to tell her that my honourable friend, the Chancellor, is meeting with the industry and the banks this Friday to discuss the matter that she has raised and will make sure that she and everyone else gets an update after that. That completes Prime Minister's questions. I will let the Chamber clear.